assurance to the believer and then an apologetic to the believer to know how to defend the faith, to know what you believe, why you believe it, and how to, how to present that right biblically and, and accurately. Uh, so let's look here, verse 13 down through 21. The Bible tells us, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have uh, that we uh, have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of Him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray, uh, that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that, begot, uh, he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness, and we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now here we're going to be looking at the point little number B there, that you may believe and know that you have eternal life. As we're looking here, verse 13, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God. He has been writing to believers. This is a book to believers uh, to tell us not just how to live, but really the, the purpose of why we live and who we live for. And in so doing, what he's been doing throughout this whole letter, we've talked about these things already. These are all the things that he's been covering, which is all those 13 things, right? We can know that we know him, know that we're in him, know that we're in the last days, know that we can know all things in the spirit, know that he's righteous, know that we pass from death to life, know that we are of the truth, know that we have the spirit of God, know that we are loved of God, know that we love the children of God, know that we have eternal life, know that he hears us. And know that Jesus has come and is true. That's a lot to know. Uh, But I I believe that certainly that many believers oftentimes sell themselves short on what they can know and the assurances that they can have. All of the assurances that we have are found in Christ. They are found in the Scripture. They are found in the work of the Spirit. I believe that most of us walk around sometimes so unconfident. And I'm not talking about the difference. There is a great, great, great difference between confidence and and arrogance, right, or confidence and pride. We have a lot of proud believers who are proud of their own achievements and their own outward and fleshly things, and that's sin. But I believe as well that it is a sin to not have our confidence in Christ as we should because we miss out on so much. We miss out on our joy and our peace and all these things that we should have because of what Christ has done, because of, Christ, because of who He is. We should have all the confidence in the world in him not in ourselves now as we look through this he says these things have i written unto you that you believe in the name of the son of god that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the son of god first of all as we look here um, i want to look here what thatcher writes he says the language of this summary is notably similar to john 20 verses 30 to 31 which indicate it indicates that the fourth gospel is written so that the reader may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Unlike the fourth gospel, however, the purpose statement of this letter has a strong note of assurance for those 
who are already believers. Perhaps the pressures of heresy and persecutions have left them uncertain, and John may fear that his rigorous tests of orthodoxy have shaken their confidence. He wants them, therefore, to know that they are in good standing with God no matter what the world and the Antichrist tell them. Now, what we're looking at here, and even in our own day, the reason why so many believers struggle with assurance of salvation, the reason why so many believers struggle with apologetics or how to deal and interact with the world and the uh, heresies of the world or the false teaching of the world or even the false teaching that is found in many so-called churches, the reason why so many believers struggle with knowing those things or how to combat those things, I believe is found in a mindset. Here what happens is that we often put so much pressure upon our self or upon our own performance instead of the performance and work and person of Jesus. And so we put the whole Christian life dependent upon ourselves. And this is why we stumble and fall, because we have no strength to keep ourselves. Uh, to, we have no strength to save ourselves, let alone keep ourselves saved, let alone sanctify ourselves all within ourselves. It's not within ourselves. Rather, it is within Christ and being in him and abiding in him with the power of the spirit that he's given. This is how we can know who the Antichrists are. This is how we know who the false teachers are. This is how we as well can know the assurance and confidence that we should have within. Now, many believers today are, are shaken because they go, well, you know, I, I struggle with this one sin. I, I, I said, I told God, right, I would never do that sin again, right? How many of us find ourselves in that place, right? Lord, I'll never do that again, right? And then what happens? 30 minutes later, right, or a day later, or a week later, maybe however long you're able to will yourself to that point, then you slip again and go, oh, Lord, I'll never do that again. I'm so sorry. I said I'd never do it again. And then what happens? is that one or two things. One, we keep going in that cycle. Or two, it happens to us again, right? We fall again, and what do we do? We beat up ourselves so bad that we take ourselves out of the fight. We go, well, I'm, I, now I'm unworthy to pray. I'm unworthy to talk to the Lord. I'm unworthy to be, I'm probably not even saved. All these things. You know what happens? It's because it boils down to this. We will either listen to the voice of the world or the voice of of God, the voice that is found here in the Word of God. Well, what does the Word give us? Confidence and assurance. If there is anybody in the world that should be confident and assured, it's the believer. Now, we look around today, we're living in a mess, aren't we? Right? And you could talk all sorts about politics and different things, and it's neither here nor there, to be quite honest with you, because at this point, we've seen there's problems no matter what. There's no problems no matter who's in office, no matter what. We're going to have inflation, we're going to have wars, we're going to have earthquakes, we're going to have natural disasters, we're going to have sin. Why? Because as long as we have people in the world, the world will still be full of sin. Because people are full of sin. Now in this, we see how bad the world has gotten, and what do we find? There are people today who are absolutely scared to death. Scared to death if the stock market takes a dip, right? Scared to death if, if you know, they show up and uh, you know, they don't have 2% milk and all they got is whole milk at the store. Well, just get the whole milk and then add a little bit of water. It'll cut it, right? right. Something like that. And I, I don't have no science in that, but, you know, you, you try it if you want to. Right? But we get all sorts of worked up and all sorts of scared. And there's so many people who are living in fear. In the past couple of years, we've seen many believers who have been so afraid, many of which have never come back to church and many of which who never will. We cannot allow fear to control our life, but rather faith must control our life. We've got to understand that the world will tell us how dangerous and scary it is, and yet it still wants us to live in it, right? And what God tells us is, 
Sure, on the outside it seems so scary, but guess what? These things must come to pass. Because we already have assurance from 1 John that we're in the last days. So why would we be so surprised or so scared when last day stuff happens? Right? We shouldn't be. If anything, we should be all the more assured that God's Word is true. So when we see these things, when we watch uh, false teachers and, and, and um, all these things wax worse and worse, evil men and seducers that's, that shall wax worse and worse, when we watch this happen before our eyes, what we should never do is be surprised or scared. Rather, we should be assured that what God has spoken is coming to pass, and we should be assured that what we believe will carry us through, that the one who has begun a good work in us shall complete it. And so no matter what comes in this world, no matter what we might face, no matter what false teachers we might face, no matter what problems we'll face in the church, out of the church, in the home, out of the home, that God is enough and that He will provide. He is the provision itself. Now, we cannot live in such a fear, and I believe that what had happened in John's days is that many of them had grown so weary because of how bad things had gotten, and they're thinking, can it get any worse? And the answer was, yes. And it even did get worse during their day. And many of us look today, and we, how many of us have asked that question? Could it get any worse? Yes. It absolutely can. And it just might. But you know something? God's still good and He's still in control and these things must come to pass. And we must never be so surprised, but rather we should be assured that God's Word is true and that God's Word is still enough to carry us through. That the same Holy Spirit that has been in us from the moment of salvation will still be with us until we either croak, be killed, or we get raptured out. That's it. So it's going to work out. We must trust the Lord in these things. Now, I'll hold your place here in 1 John and turn with me over to the Gospel of John. I want to just look at that for a moment. John chapter 20. Now, it's interesting when you're writing a letter, normally you say, especially if you're writing a formal letter, you're writing you know, a, a business or you're writing your congressman, or, I don't know, you're writing a deli manager at Food Line or something, I don't know, whoever you write, right? And you're going, dear sir, madam, right? I'm writing you today because of Blank. There's the purpose, right? Well, John goes a little bit backwards here. And he's giving the purpose at the end because he's saying, all this stuff I've told you, here's the reason why, right? This is the purpose. Now, in John 20, verses 30 uh, and 31, it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So reading John, it is so that way you might come to faith in Christ, that you might be born again as Jesus had told Nicodemus. But then first John, he's writing, these things I have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have that eternal life. Why? Because what are those things? First John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, which we, our hands have handled, of the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Who's that? Jesus. The same thing. The same person that he wrote about in the Gospel of John is the same one that he's ultimately really writing about in 1 John. It's that Jesus is the one that saves us. 
Jesus is the one that keeps us saved. Jesus is the one that assures us of our salvation. And Jesus is the one that grows us in our sanctification or the outworking of our salvation. So we should have confidence in Him. We should have this understanding that the moment that we have true, real, faithful acceptance in Christ and of Christ, that we will then have assurance and it's held together by faith in Him. Not faith in works. You know when I... And let's be real honest. Some of us who have been saved even many years at times of doubt, worry, discouragement, anxieties, different things. What happens to us? We get our eyes off of who Christ is, what Christ has done, what Christ has said. And we hear the loud voices of the world. We hear the voice of our own mind telling us how bad we are, that we messed up too many times and God must be done with us and all these things. We get discouraged. We're cast down. And what did John already say here in 1 John? He had already said, if your heart condemn you, right? If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. <coughs> Therefore, don't so much listen to your heart. Right? As a matter of fact, how many times do we hear people say, just follow your heart? Anyone ever heard follow your heart? Yeah. Don't. <laughs> don't. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. What do we know about our heart? It can lie to us, can't it? Our emotions and our mind can lie to us. It doesn't always see things for what they really are. But what does God do? He sees things for exactly as they are. Therefore, when God sees you as you are in Christ, He does not see any longer your faults and your failures, for now those sins have been cast away as far as the east from the west. Now, if we understand that this world is, is a globe, right, and it's not flat, and, and, and probably. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Right, it's a round globe. East is from the west. What does that mean? It means it keeps going and going. How far is the east from the west? Anybody know? The idea is it just keeps going. You can certainly measure, right? If you were to place a flag right here and then to march that, that way or that way, Whichever way China is, and you keep going around, right? And you come around, and you come back to the spot. Sure, you can measure that, right? Of course. The idea of east from the west is that it is it keeps going, and going, and going. It is infinitely gone. So when we understand that when the Lord sees us now, and He sees things for how they really are, well, what does He see the child of God as? Just that, the child of God. He sees us being now born of Him, belonging to Him, no longer belonging to the world. Stott writes, John's desire for them is not that they may believe and receive, but that having believed, they may know that they have received and therefore continue to have, present tense, eternal life. That you may know means both in word and tense, not that they may gradually grow in assurance, but that they may possess here and now a present certainty of the life they have received in Christ. They had been unsettled by false teachers and become unsure of their spiritual state. So let me ask you this. Is assurance for now or for later? It's for now and for forever and for later, right? It's that we have it now, but it's to last forever and forever. How do we receive that? Well, it's already right here. The issue is that we are often so looking to find something that we already have or should have. The moment you trust Christ, we have a wealth of things given to us, a, a well of living water that we don't 
tap into near enough. Right? We're often looking for, I've got to do something to make myself assured, right? How many times do you do that, right? If you think about this, right? Every man in here that I know, including myself, if you use ratchet straps and you strap something down, what's the next thing you do? You pull it tight, you slap it twice, and say, that's not going anywhere, right? And you have that assurance. Now that you've, you've pulled tight, slap, not going anywhere, you know now, not going nowhere. You immediately have that assurance. So that means you can take those turns and, and you, you just go. You're trusting. It's not going anywhere. I've, tapped, I've done that work, right? Well, how about this? We understand that Christ has saved us. Then look to the cross. It's not going anywhere. It's done. Therefore, what is inside of us is already everything that we need for the rest of our Christian walk. It is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We must not keep searching on the outside for something that God has already given us on the inside. Does that make sense? And so we, we destroy ourselves and we discourage ourselves so much in the Christian walk by not relying on what God has already given to bear fruit and to live a fruitful life and to see victory over sin and to see a continued walk and progression with Him. See, we've got to understand that the real faithful Christian life is not one that is perfect all the time, but rather trust in the God who has perfectly given us these things that we need to live out this life. To give us assurance. To give us this confidence. Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote, This is the essence of the Christian life, that we might have the full knowledge of God and that we may, know, uh, we may know we have it, that they might know for certain that they possess eternal life and the full knowledge of God. Now, a simple question here, right? The moment you got saved, did you know more then or did you know more now? Now. Why? Because you've grown to know more. Everything that you know now is found in this moment. The moment you trust Christ, all that you need is right there. It does not mean, and I've seen many believers, I've seen some people who have been saved a whole lot longer than I've been alive, who have ne they've gotten this, they trusted Jesus, and this is about as far as they've made it. And they say, well, I'm just not smart, or it's just not meant for me to know. I just, you know, I just trust the Lord. Well, yeah, trust the Lord, but guess what? If you want to grow and get to that point of where you are now and continuously growing, it's going to be found in the deep well of trusting in Jesus. Real faith in the gospel. Faith in these things that John has written about. Faith in these things that is rooted now. That's what holds us all together. That's what everything else will, will be uh, springing out of. So if you want the fruit of knowledge and growing in grace knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, what will be found in it will be found in the simple faith that is there, abiding in Him. When you knew, I've got to be in Christ in order to go to heaven, well, what do you think you need for the rest of everything else? The same exact thing. And so it is this, that we are certainly having more knowledge today, and we should have more knowledge today than we had then, because we didn't know hardly nothing when we got saved, did we? All I knew when I got saved was this. God was good, sin was bad, and because sin's bad, I'm bad, and I need to be saved. And I can't do it. Only Jesus can. Lord, save me by your mercy. What did he do? He saved me by his mercy. And that's all I know. 
And yet, it's that that should be the, the well for everything else that we draw from that allows us to grow and to continue to mature in the faith. Everything points back and brings us back to the, the very basics of the Gospel that brings us back to not these sort of you know, super deep, big, you know, $4 words. That's not what we're dealing with here. That doesn't mean that you're the smart Christian because you know a $4 word. But what makes us mature in Christ, what makes us assured in Christ, is the same thing that first put us in Christ. And it's faith in Him, trust in Him, dependence upon Him. And that gives us confidence. To have a knowledge of God for the moment of salvation, it turns into this idea, this fullness of, and it should be a fullness that we should know some things. And we can know some things. It is ultimately knowing God that saves. It is ultimately knowing God that sanctifies. And it's ultimately knowing God one day that will glorify. Because it's knowing God that gives Him glory now in this world, in this life that we live. All of our life is about experiencing a fuller knowledge of not just what God has done, but who God is. That's what we were designed to do, but because of the fall, we could no longer do such. So the moment we've been saved, we've been reconciled to Him, therefore we can know Him. How much can we know Him? A full knowledge of Him. I might not know all things in my finite brain, but yet I can have a fullness of knowing Him. A personal walk, a personal relationship, not according to my own personal or my own thoughts or opinions, but according to what he's already given, what he's already said, what he's already declared, what he's already drawn me to and pointed me to through the power of the Spirit. As confidence in Christ, we have here having an assurance of faith in Christ and knowing that we know him makes all the difference in the daily walk of the believer, especially in the middle of trials and persecutions. You see, it's when the hard things come that, that our faith is truly tested. It's when the difficult days come that it's going, well, are you going to trust Him? You see, what we need to do most of the time in our Christian life is not so much to try to fill up our heads as much as we need to fill up our hearts with faith in the Lord. It's the simple childlike faith in Christ that saves. So what do we think it would be that would sanctify a simple childlike faith of trusting Him. What do we think will lead us home to be with Him? A simple childlike faith to trust Him. It is not one of some sort of mush brain and not knowing anything, not having any knowledge, but rather the great knowledge that we have of God and truly the only knowledge that we have of God is having a confidence and trust, faith in Him. <coughs> Excuse me. In this, we'll get into verse 14 for just a half a hot minute, all right? Verse 14 tells us, and this is the confidence that we believe that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So let's let's break this down. If you ask anything, will he answer it? He says, if you ask anything in his will, right? If you ask for a brand new 2022 GMC Sierra fully loaded in your in your parking lot, right? Now, if it's according to his will, right, you're not going to complain, are you? But here's the thing. We've talked a lot about prayer. Ultimately, prayer is an act of faith. Right? I would not have to pray if I could do it myself. I would not pray if I did not believe that God could or God can or that God would even. 
prayer is the outworking of an inward faith and trust in who God is, what God does, and what He can do, and what He desires to do for us to come before Him as His children, to ask, to adore all of these things that, that prayer is a part of. But here we talk about confidence. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we do ask anything according to His will, He hears us. See, our confidence is not found in us, but the confidence to pray. The confidence to walk with the Lord. Where is that found? It's found in the Word and work of God. It's found, as we've been talking about in Genesis, the promise of God, which is the Word of God and the the provision of God, the work of God. Where do we find both the Word of God and the work of God? Where do we find the promise of God and the provision of God? In Christ. Because I'm confident in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, therefore now we can go boldly to the throne of grace. Not boldly in this sort of strutting, but rather in a confident way, knowing that if I go to Him, or really even before that, knowing that I can go to Him, because access has been made through the blood of Jesus, knowing not only that I can go to Him, but I can go to Him anytime, anywhere, and for anything. And that God is big enough to handle all those needs. Sometimes we get so worried or thinking that, well, it's too small, I don't think God wants to hear about this. Well, tell Him anyways. I'm sure He'll handle it just fine. Right? Your spouse might not want to. They might just give you a polite nod or something, but God's not. He wants to hear from you. Do not let anything in this world keep you from going to the Lord in prayer, but rather let all that He is and all that He's done be the confidence that you need to drive you to prayer. Because everything, I believe it was Spurgeon who said that everything is a blessing that causes us to pray. That's the good stuff. It's also the bad stuff. And I believe he's right in that. Because it is a blessed thing to pray, to know God, to trust God, to walk with God, to have answer prayer with God, to have audience with God. Our confidence must be in the Word and work of God in Christ Jesus. That's where our confidence is. And our confidence in prayer, in our prayer life, in our Christian life, and it's our confidence for eternity. Christ is our confidence and our hope for all things and in all things. Jackman writes, the first characteristic of our knowing God, that relationship which is eternal life, is confidence in our approach to Him. This will naturally be expressed in prayer where the marks of the Christian reality is boldness or confidence or perhaps better freedom of speech is the idea in Hebrews. Our conversation with God is to be uninhibited, open and relaxed, yet not without reverence and submission. Its manner reflects the fact that we are children of a loving Heavenly Father. Therefore, we should approach Him as such, shouldn't we? Therefore, we should have confidence. Now, when you spoke to your father or your mother when you were a child, sometimes you would go to one and they would say no. And then what would you immediately do? I'll go talk to the other one, right? I went to the, went to the bad cop first. I'll go to the good cop now, right? I, you know, to play him that way, right? That's, I, I know mom said no. Eh, dad, dad's a softie, right? Or, or dad said no. Mom's a softie. Or they're both hard noses and you're just out of luck, right? I don't know. You know the answer is just no. Here's the idea. We have a loving father. Every believer has a loving heavenly father who desires to bless us. He desires to take care of us. He desires to fellowship with us. He desires that relationship to be good. But here's the thing. He never moves. He is, he is who He is. He never changes. He never walks away from us. 
Rather, the issue is whether or not we come to Him. We will only go to Him in prayer if we are confident, not just that He will answer and give us what we want, but rather confident that we have audience. That's the first step. What John has given us here in this letter should be not this sort of earth-shattering going, well, man, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. But rather going, because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, I can go to my heavenly Father and know that if I ask and it's His will for me to have this or, or for Him to do that, and that's what will happen. But either way, I have audience to know that He will hear me and that I can meet with Him and fellowship with Him and talk to Him. But even more so as we've talked about with prayer, that I can have the confidence that even if I ask Him, He will answer my prayer one way or the other. And it just might be by changing my will to fit His will. Prayer is not to change God's will to be our will, but rather for our will to be changed to be His will. Now, I'm going to wrap up today here because I've got to get ready for baptism and things. But I want to remind each of us today that Jesus is enough. He's enough to sanctify. He's enough to save. He's enough for every part of your Christian life. He is enough. Who He is and what He's done is enough for us to be confident in approaching our Heavenly Father. May we do such. May we have a confidence, not in our flesh, not even in our own abilities, not in our own knowledge and how far we've made it, but rather confidence in Christ. And continue to do so. As this world gets darker, as this world gets worse, we need all of our confidence now more than ever. But now more than ever, we need all of our confidence not to be in ourselves, but to be in Christ alone. Well, let's pray this morning and, uh, and we'll, we'll be done. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. I pray that you would be with us now, that you would prepare our hearts to worship you. God, we thank you for the special morning that we have ahead of us. We pray, God, that you would be with each part of the service, that you would be... Uh, honored and glorified and God that uh, the gospel will be proclaimed clearly that you would uh, just give us your power and your presence today and we thank you for this time and we give it to you now I pray that you meet the need of every heart that is here today in Jesus name amen